What's up, Wildside Besties and Baddies? I'm Bailey. And I'm Chelsea. And we're here to walk you through the wild sides. From homicides to hosticides and everything in between. We're so glad you're here. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. My name is Chelsea and Bailey and I are actually sisters. Yeah. So... Even though we didn't exactly get along growing up in high school, we are besties now. Yes, absolutely. So I'm the older sister, four years older. And, you know, we kind of just, this thing just kind of evolved. And one day Bailey is like, we need to make a podcast. And I said, yes, what will it be over? And she said, true crimes. And I was like, sign me up. That's perfect. We just wanted to, again, thank you guys for showing up and being a part of this Wildside family. We're really, really grateful for you tuning in and listening to us. Just as a small disclaimer, Chelsea and I both use humor as a primary coping mechanism. So we will do our best to walk the very thin line between being respectful to the victims in the stories, but also sprinkling in a little bit of lightheartedness and humor just to help us cope through some of the gnarly stuff that we're going to be covering. Yeah, absolutely. If it's okay with you, Chels, I'm going to just go ahead and get into it. Yeah, no, that's perfect. All right. I'm going to take this a little out of the American bubble today and cover a case from Germany from 2001. Now, this case is probably on my top five list of wildest true crime stories I have ever heard. It's like the trifecta. You got childhood trauma, cannibalism, and questions regarding consent to murder. This is the true and wild case of Armin Mevis, a.k.a. the Cannibal of Wolfenburg. I always wondered, like, who makes up these names? Like, I wonder, is it the news reporter that deems him, you know, the cannibal of Rotenberg? Or I wonder if that's how, like, does he sign his name? You know, like, XOXO, cannibal of Rotenberg? Probably not. But maybe okay. there are some out there that do the XOXO, you know, with love, X's and O's. But I don't think Armin was one of them. Best wishes with love and lots of it. Now, just a disclaimer. I don't know why I picked the most difficult case for our first episode, but here we are. I didn't want to talk about the same serial killers that we've heard time and time again. Even though I always, always, always appreciate a good episode on one. I wanted to take you guys to a place that you probably haven't been before. Now, keep in mind that everything had to be translated from German. I mean, I know a few phrases, but I am not fluent in German by any stretch of the imagination. So I will do my best, but just know I do apologize in advance for butchering, probably a poor choice of word, butchering some of these words. No, no pun, pun intended. intended. So. 
let's jump right in at the beginning of the story because I think it'll help give us context for some of these crazy, gruesome facts of this case. Armin Nevis was born on December 1st, 1961 in Essen, Germany. He was born to a Dieter and Weitraud Nevis. Again, some difficult names to pronounce. I'm sure the Germans wouldn't super approve of the language, but again, I'm doing my best. Armin's father, Dieter, was a police officer and he was 21 years old when he married Armin's mother, Valtraut. She was 40 years old and on her third marriage to Dieter when Armin was born. And this birth was not exactly welcome. So she was 19 years his senior. Yes, that is correct. Right. So we're like full-blown, full-blown cougar. This is her, Dieter is her third marriage. Yes. Okay. Third marriage. She's 19 years his senior. And you're going to see some more of the complexity of this <laughs> as we get into it. Okay. okay. As I said, Armin's birth was far from welcome. It has been reported that this pregnancy was just another attempt at manipulation by Valtraud, an aspect of her grand scheme to keep Dieter permanently by her side. <laughs> Apparently, this woman was incredibly manipulative and possessive. She would constantly threaten Dieter's life and accuse him of having affairs. So we can all kind of see where this is going, right? It's not a super great start. No, like, <laughs> bless her. By all accounts, it seems that most of her marriages did not work out due to her overbearing and domineering nature. I, right. At times, she raged against Armin, called him names, and called him worthless. But did she rage against the machine? <laughs> if we want to consider Armin a cannibalistic machine... Then technically, yes. <laughs> he was a well-oiled machine. Yes. Her experiences of men had left her bitter. Her neighbor said that she took it out on the only person possible and the one that was closest to her, which was Armin. Her baby? Her own little baby. <sighs> yes. I can't. I know. I know. In an article by Keith Dovkantz, the boy who became a cannibal, a neighbor was quoted as saying this. He was a mother's boy. She was his idol. He was always trying to win her approval. He spent most of his time looking after her. Oh, so sad. Doesn't that... I just hate it. Like, poor Armin. Like, come live no. at my house. Please don't be a cannibal. Come live at my house. You can play Switch over here. Like, we have snacks, and you can play the Nintendo Switch. Your mom's a teenage dirtbag. <laughs> I'm just a teenage dirtbag. So, side note, it immediately made me think of Ed Kemper. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. If anyone is familiar, yes, if anyone is familiar with the story of a killer who had an overbearing and domineering mother, it's Ed Kemper. You know, Chelsea, it's just so 
fascinating to me that these commonalities keep showing up. Right. And if anybody would like to know, so I would recommend Bailey as I think you were the one who got us on it, but I think so the series Mastermind, right? Mind yes. Hunter. No, no, no. Mind Hunter. Mm-hmm. That so if anybody is interested on a really great description, both visually and personality-wise of Ed, I would highly recommend. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's a beast. He is, he was like, what, six foot ten? Six seven, six ten. Just a massive. He was huge. Massive guy. Massive guy. Yeah. And they casted him so well in that TV oh, show. It's it's uncanny. By you saying that, I can already see this picture that you're trying to paint with yeah. poor Armin. Poor Armin. Armin's father, Dieter, was a, and again, this is kind of another commonality that we seem to hear with these criminals, yeah. for lack of better words, yes. that act out and do these kind of horrific things. So Dieter was a fairly cold, stoic man who was pretty disinterested in Armin. Well, he probably, yeah, he probably didn't even have the chance to. I mean, I'm sure his mom had her claws in him from the time he was born, but I'll digress. Cop. Yeah. So despite them having material comforts, emotional comfort was not really at play in that household. So on one afternoon in September of 1969, seven-year-old Armin was playing hide-and-seek when he heard his parents arguing. His father stormed out of the house, got into his car, and drove off, leaving a terrified and saddened young Armin. And he never saw his father again. I hate it. And, And again... Y'all are going to hear us do a lot of disclaimers. One disclaimer is you can still feel for the little boy version of Armin and understand some of the components that created who he was. That does not justify the behaviors as his adult. Right? True. True. I just want to be really clear about that is it's okay to be sad for this, you know, seven-year-old boy who didn't have a choice or a say-so with all of this stuff. And it probably explains how he molded into the man that he became. But again, it doesn't justify the end result. Armin also lost his half-brothers around the same time that his dad left. One brother, Wolfgang, moved to Berlin and became a priest. And the other, Engelbert, just moved away, probably to get the fuck out of that house as soon as he could. I mean, justifiably so. Yeah. One of the little notes that I put here is, it's a lot like the, quote, lost child in the dysfunctional family dynamics. Mm -hmm. So this child, this lost child, essentially all the male figures in his life in a short succession left. And so he was left with this overbearing, dominating, or domineering, manipulative mother. And that was it. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine how lonely that must have been? No. (laughs) So. (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, seriously, like, guys, this is so hard because I hate it when I see a lost dog 
on the side of the road, right? Like I can't, I am one of those where it's like, I will pull the car over, get out and try to figure out where you, where you belong. Like, whose are you? So to know that you have this little kid, like this little boy who is seven years old, dad is gone. I'm sure mom didn't take that well. And then brothers are, I mean, you go from a world that you've known to essentially the upside down, right? I mean, you, you it's, everything has completely been flipped. The rug's been totally pulled out from underneath him. Now we're going to get a little bit into, we talked a little bit about his childhood, and I'm going to kind of start crossing the bridge into the fetish development. So Armin grew up to be an introvert, which is no surprise, right? right? Who longed to have friends. I mean, yeah, duh. Who doesn't, right? As time went on, Armin sought comfort from reading the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. And his favorite story was... Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel and the cannibalistic witch in the story. How did I know? How Mm -hmm. did I know? Kind of as a side note, when I worked with this really good trauma therapist, she gave me this family of origin packet at the beginning of our, you know, sessions. And one of the questions is, what was your favorite childhood story? It could be a book, a movie, um, like a TV show. And why was it your favorite? Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting to me how if you look at this from like a psychoanalytic perspective and and a psychodynamic perspective, that is such a common question to ask. It's like, what was your favorite stories growing up? And it's usually pretty telling. And this one obviously has to do with cannibalism. So there's no surprise there. So is it a surprise that we both loved Are You Afraid of the Dark? (laughs) (laughs) That we were molded by Nickelodeon's 1993's Are You Afraid of the Dark series? Yeah, no shit. And that my favorite movie when I was like three or four that scared the shit out of me was Edward Scissorhands. Dude. But I loved it. Uh, Do you remember you that? I would watch it. Absolutely obsessed. Absolutely obsessed. Well, and you would also rewind and watch on loop the scene from Indiana Jones. <laughs> and then, blew- no, it was the, oh, no. the Last uh, Crusade. Raider, no, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know. Whichever one, he has to get the cup, right? The Holy Grail. And he uh-huh. brings it. And he turns into that. <laughs> skeleton dude and the woman is freaking out and she's screaming like we hear this like repeat scream over and over and we all go into the living room like what is happening is three four-year-old baby sitting and he'd melt he would turn he would melt he was like and he'd melt his eyes popped out and he'd turn into a skeleton and i would just rewind it and watch it over and over and then also remember when we were driving through memphis for whatever reason oh and i begged mom and dad to let me see elvis presley's bones right yes and i've always been the person who's like i mean she wants to see the bones i i mean it's fine, right? Do you like bones, Chelsea? I mean, they're fine. I don't know. 
you know, <laughs> but I'm always the one who's like, sure. Yeah, I like bones. I like, are you afraid of the dark? Sure. I like true crime. I'm down. Yeah. We're here for We're it. We're here for it. Chelsea's like the, she's the little spot of sunshine in the dark cave that I dwell. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> back not, to our yeah, not saying much. Not saying much. So, according to Antoinette Johnson, and this is where I got a lot of really great information for this episode, is from her article. Armin especially liked the passage in which the storybook witch, so which the storybook witch, yes, fattens up little Hansel, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in the hope of cooking him and eating him. As a child, so on top of this, as a child, he used to act out the scene over and over and over again, playing the role of the witch and delighting in the idea of roasting and eating Hansel. Mm-hmm. He, so in, at the same time, in these early days, he created an imaginary brother named Frank, which imaginary siblings is always like it breaks my heart so much. <laughs> So he created an imaginary brother, Frank, to vent his thoughts to who I know. Frank. And would he feed? Was he feeding Frank? Like I don't, I don't know. I didn't get that much information. I bet on he it. was. I bet he was trying to fatten him up. Was <laughs> it? Poor Frank. Oh, so yeah, and he also had fantasy so the fantasy started pretty young when it came to cannibalism and in his teens this is when Armin really began thinking more and more about cannibalism he collected all sorts of like serial killer stuff he collected uh, material on the crimes of Fritz excuse me Fritz Harmon the vampire of Hanover mm. who killed at least 26 young men in the 1920s and vampire of Hanover drank the blood of his victims so you can see how it's already starting to get really graphic right 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 where is his priest brother in all of this you know like <laughs> you, you know what I mean like where are you priest brother you don't think you could pop over Wolfgang you know you don't think you could pray on the rosary for that one like come on man I mean, the only thing that I can think of is those boys were probably so fucking traumatized that they just had to leave. But, I mean, and that's just, again, the child is always the victim, no matter what. One of the things that Armin did is he fantasized about, and this is going to remind you of somebody, he fantasized about eating his friends so that they would always... (laughs) (laughs) Dahmer, be a part of him. Dahmer, let me make, let me make a mannequin out of you. Let me keep your head in a box so you'll never leave me. At least this one was invisible, right, and not like a real. Yeah, so there's that. And as Armin hit puberty at the age of 13, he began to view himself in the world differently. 
He was confused as to how to react to the sudden physical and mental changes occurring to his body, right? Which is a pretty typical stage of psychosocial development for all humans. Right. Now, here comes this bitch, Ula. So Ula, maybe it's Eula. I think it's probably Eula. So I'll go with Eula, but if it's Ula, I'm sorry. So, I mean, she might answer to both. You know, like she might be Mm -hmm. one of those. So Eula was a friend of Armin's mother. Of course she was. Was she older? She was definitely older than Armin. She was, yeah. Okay. So she was like, yes, she was an adult and he was a teenager. That's all that needs to be said Mm -hmm. about that. So she volunteered to teach Armin about the world and its hidden depths. Of course she did. Now, mm -hmm. Now, is this reminding you of anything right now? Because it it's reminding me a little bit of old Garth Brooks, you know, <laughs> and he was a child and he went to work. <laughs> I watched her hands turn, what is it? Turn from leather to lace. Her hands of leather turn into lace. Ask what were you doing out there on that summer. I know, it's summer. terrible. It's all, like ladies stay at home she was such a predator stay woman at home get Damn. a better hobby get a better hobby knitting knitting is still a thing yeah or anything except preying on teenage boys literally anything I mean, come right on. <laughs> literally anything, anything. so um, this eula encouraged him to indulge in his dark fantasies and introduced him to a world of Satanism. Are you fucking uh-huh. kidding me? I mean, can this kid can't get a break. I literally wrote he can't. No, and in the midst of it, I bet you any amount of money that Frank left, <laughs> his imaginary f- friend Frank. I bet you he left. You know, he was like, I hate Eula. I'm yeah. out. You know, like, you spend all your time with her. Is she your new best friend? I don't, yeah. I wouldn't be well, surprised. Well, and it's like, your dad left. Your mom, by all accounts, really sucks. Your brother's dipped. Yeah. And now your mom's grown-ass woman, BFF, is like, come on, baby. Let's go worship the devil. I mean, damn, how much more trauma can one kid get? I don't know. Oh, I'm sure you can tell us. I'm sure there's more to it. So while, you know, witch Eula is doing her thing, Armin's mother is still abusive and unaffectionate. I mean, right. By this point, Armin is diving deeper into his fantasies. He begins dismembering Barbie dolls, and he would lay in bed for hours just dismembering these, these dolls. He would smear ketchup and some pork on his belly to resemble torn flesh. And it's here where he began to realize he was a cannibal at the early Mm. age of 13 years old. Oh, bless it. I mean, I have a 13-year-old, and she is pretty much like giggling back there to Monster High, you know, and listening to, I don't know, some justin bieber shenanigans right and when i was 13 i was so excited about my you know cole's 
purple three-quarter length Chinese writing shirt for my first day of school that I wore under my overalls. We come from very different, different walks of life. Yeah. Yeah. It really puts it into perspective for you. Armin finally gets to the point where he's like, yep, I'm ready to get the fuck out of this house. Right. So he leaves and he joins the army in 1981 at 19 years old. Okay. Needless to say, during his time in the army, he was exposed to some pretty horrific war-related experiences. I don't Mm -hmm. want to get into the Mm -hmm. war itself, but I think it's safe to say that it was harrowing and awful and traumatic on many levels. I mean, war is. Or being exposed. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound ignorant. That doesn't necessarily mean that he was exposed to war. But his chances of being exposed to less than nurturing experiences are heightened being in the army, right? Yeah, I don't think you join the army to work on your love language, right? Like you don't join it to like also hope that you'll get involved with people who are into knitting and talking about their feelings. Well, and this is right after the Cold War in Germany. Ah, so. Okay. He joined a couple of years, the Cold War, I think, ended in 89, 1989. He joined in, oh, no, it was right in the middle of the Cold War. Yeah, so he joined in 1981. While in the Army, Armin did well for a bit. He got some promotions, but was still struggling with some of these deeper issues, and he began drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Because if you can't... If you can't act on them, you need to drown them out. Right. Right. You either use substances to feel more of or to feel less of, typically. Remember, all the while Armin was working for the army, he was still living with his mother in his childhood home. So he joined the army, but he was, I don't know if stationed is the right word. His job was close to his childhood home so he could commute back and forth to work. So he's still oh. under the influence of, of this mother figure. Right. Despite this likely stressor, all reports claim that he was exemplary in his job duties in the army. The alcoholism, I think, mm-hmm. just got to the point where he couldn't function anymore. So unfortunately, yeah. that was pretty much the end of his career in the army, and he leaves in 1992. I mean, again, isn't that Dahmer? You know, like I think Dahmer joined the military I think his alcoholism got the better of him and he was discharged. I don't know if I remember that he was in the military. So it's interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure Dahmer served like one year because his dad came in and was just like, we're not doing this anymore. Like you're joining the military because I think he had had some issues with drinking or I don't know, something was going on. I'll have to check that one. But yeah, again. It, it just it's just interesting to me how many how many serial killers how many murders how many criminals if you will and i hate using those words right because it, it makes it sound like there's nothing redeemable in these people and that's not the case it's just fascinating to me that they all share such similar habits addictions walks mm-hmm. of life you know it just starting to kind of connect a bit, if you will. Armin continues to explore his deviant sexual desires. So he began videotaping himself doing some pretty wild things. 
he would film himself holding a knife to his throat and then he would smear his body with ketchup. And so not only would he just do that, but he enriched the ketchup with paprika spice to make it thicker and more realistic. Mm -hmm. He was all about the details. Yeah, so he's getting creative. He rigged up a pulley system where he would hang himself with his legs in the air. He would sculpt bodies out of marzipan. Okay. And stab sticks into it. He made a penis out of pork and would place his own penis next to it on a breakfast board and masturbate to it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just want to remind everyone here that this is all happening while his mother is in the house in another room. But I mean, really, like, she might as well not be there. You know what I mean? Like, at this point, she has set the precedent of, like, I, you know, I'm here, right. but I'm not here. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair to say. It's It's also noteworthy that Armin struggled with interpersonal relationships throughout his life. So I just kind of threw this in here. I didn't really know where to plug this in, but it needed to be said. He never really had a real girlfriend, but he would brag about his relationships in front of colleagues, even though there were no relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he once put a picture of a woman on the desk in his office, claiming that he had had sex with her. And this woman in the picture later testified to the police that there had literally never, ever been more than a kiss in this relationship. You know, and that's got to be terrible to know. Like, he obviously had some understanding that he was a little off, right? Like, he obviously understood that there were some social norms that were expected and that he was not in that category of social norms. And to me, that is also, that just kind of breaks my heart to know that there's something amiss. Because if he didn't know, right, then he wouldn't have gone through all the trouble of like trying to create this normal facade. Yeah, for sure. And it was also reported that Armin was engaged to a woman once, but noted she was too strong-willed. Well, yeah. I'm sure any therapist would really like to unpack that, but we're not here to totally unpack that. Right. When he would actually take women out on dates, his mother would be sitting in the backseat of the car. So she has no idea that he has, you know, a platter full of pork (laughs) penises, but she sure as heck is not going to miss out on his possible real life girlfriend mm-hmm. date. You know what I mean? Like, get off, Valinda. What was her name? Baltrout. Yeah. I mean, go, go home. Fast forward to 1992. Eula, yep, this bitch again. She ended up dying that year. And just as a side note, that a lot of the resources stated as maybe a significant thing to mention is she had actually converted to Christianity from Satanism prior to her death. All right. Good job. So just an interesting little tidbit there. A year later on September 2nd of 1999, Armin's mother passed away at the age of 77. And Armin was 37 years old. Well, yeah. So he's completely, it's done. Dad's gone. Mom's gone. 
Eula's gone. Eula's <laughs> gone. Whatever we decided her name was. You know what yeah. I like? So, and I'm getting there. So don't jump the gun. She had suffered from cancer for some time and Armin had cared for her. He was her primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. What I think this came with was a great deal of relief and a sense of freedom. But as is the nature of death, nonetheless, it was probably very confusing. Yes. There's a lot of emotions packed into that loss. It's widely reported that Armin struggled with his sexual orientation, realizing he liked women, but also having sexual desires for men. Yeah. He felt that he was bisexual, but he mostly wanted to eat men rather than have sex with them. And so I bring mm-hmm. that up not mm-hmm. to point out his sexuality as if, like, I don't care, but just to point out that the the restrictions surrounding him, at least in his mind, that he wasn't allowed to feel these things, and that probably exacerbated mm-hmm. some issues deep down as well. Right. Yeah. I imagine it was just he wanted any form of relationship, right? I mean, really. Mm-hmm. You just want, you just, we are not beloved. You do, you just, we're created that way. We're not created to be all by ourselves. Like, we're created for community and relationships. So while Armin's mother was alive, he appeared unwilling to relinquish his last hold on heterosexuality. But after her Mm -hmm. death... His thoughts turned exclusively to gay sex, murder, dismemberment, and cannibalism. Yeah. So we can kind of see, like, yeah, sure, correlation does not equal causation, but this is a pretty strong cor- mm-hmm. correlation. Right. Christiane Lang, um, a Berlin psychiatrist, was quoted as saying, Nevis was Oedipal in his love for his mother. Mm-hmm. He wanted her love above all, and after that, the love of his brothers. Mm-hmm. By denying normal relationships and feelings, he was forever slipping closer to an abyss from which it would be impossible to pull back. I mean, I am no expert by any means, but I feel like I could say, yup, sounds mm-hmm. about right. Now, not long after his mother's death, and, and alone in his childhood home, Armin starts to spiral. And I think we all saw the road signs pointing in this direction. Yeah. He started wearing his mother's clothes and by several reports started acting like her in front of his neighbors. Mm. And thus stepped closer to his dark fantasies of cannibalism. So like those were the stepping stones of getting him closer and closer. At one point, he fashioned pieces of pork onto, into the shape of a penis and ate it. So we see throughout this whole mm-hmm. episode so far how it's just like inching himself closer and closer and closer. Baby steps, right. There was, he admitted, an overwhelming yeah. desire to eat a person, to consume someone utterly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think he also struggled with the same-sex attraction and had acted out sexually. So let me back up. I think he also struggled with same-sex attraction. That's kind of my opinion in the consensus from the research that I did. Right, right. And factually, he acted out sexually with some other men while he was in the army, but seemed like he tried to keep Mm -hmm. that heterosexual front at least while his mother was alive. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this preparation all was happening around the same time that Armin found an interest in computers. He had dreams of once making a fortune by setting up a computer school in the manor house in which he lived. Okay. I wrote, gives a new meaning to multi-purpose room. <laughs> like, I wonder if they're going to wear uniforms at this school. Like, oh man, Armin. Okay. So unfortunately, Armin was never able to raise the money to see the scheme through. Instead, this mm -hmm. now gave him an accessible pathway to carry out his deviant desires, especially since he was savvy with computers. Mm. So that's why I kind of roped this in, is to really emphasize he was good with computers, and now he has an outlet to, right. for lack of better words, the dark web. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and it's kind of what, it, you know, what is that cliche saying like you know just enough to be dangerous type of thing you know again it's like all of these situations i mean it really is right. it's a perfect storm right like you know you're savvy on the computer you your mom is no longer there to judge you right. you know to be judged and awful and so i mean it's it's a whole new level of freedom like this is untapped unchartered like you've been unleashed you essentially like you've been let out of your cage yeah. he now has access to the computer he has nobody hovering nobody over him i mean this is a totally new level it's like a perfect storm it is absolutely yeah. it is and so he was also working as a computer technician so just to emphasize his mm -hmm his savvy nature when it came to computers and electronics. Right. He, this is where Armin used his own computer to surf internet sites set up and frequented by fetishists and sadists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now we're taking a big step in that direction. Yeah. He started participating in German and English chat rooms about cannibalism and started preparing to act on his desires. Mm-hmm. So in his house, so mind you, this is still his childhood home that he grew up in and had these like really sad, awful, traumatic memories. Right. And now mom freshly is deceased. Right. At this point, he creates a slaughter room. Oh. He had a bed, ropes connected to the bed, and gallon-sized buckets to collect blood. So he's really starting to plan mm -hmm. all of this out. And not just the fantasy, but it's starting to to have the logistics behind it. Right. Materialize. Mm-hmm. So he, at this point, was ready to engage in his fantasies. I mean, which, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I can't even go to the grocery store with an actual good list of things that I need. It's amazing how well these people can plan yeah. stuff out. Well, and I think it speaks to how absolutely all-encompassing this obsession is true i don't know a whole lot about like cannibalism and stuff like that but i imagine that it's kind of like an addiction for people right and in an addiction whatever your addiction is whether it's alcohol or xanax or whatever that now takes the number one spot over food over water mm -hmm. over love and relationships and everything you do you go for that gotcha 
And, you know, that really is a good point because I think a lot of times we try to put, you know, and I'm going to use this term loosely, but we try to put normal lenses on this stuff. You know, for those of us who don't suffer at that level of addiction, you know, it's it's really, it's hard for us to understand. You know, I think that's where a lot of it comes in where they're just like, oh my goodness, like how, how in the world? Yeah. Well, I mean, we really, we don't know. We, we don't understand that well, level and of it. just again as a disclaimer before you guys unpack your pitchforks and come running through the street at us we are not insinuating that addicts are cannibals or if you have an addiction no. you're you know super fucked up like roasting somebody on a open fire right no absolutely and, and in fact that's kind of i was actually saying the opposite like i'm glad that you brought that up because i i think it's so easy for people to be quick to judge and be quick to say how in the world and that's just so awful but again you know I hate to say it but until you've walked a mile or until you've dealt with something like that you know it is it's hard to understand not justifying again like you had said earlier in the podcast like it's not justifying any bad behavior but there are certain things that we just don't understand if we don't understand does that make sense yeah and I think it's natural for us to like, obviously, I'm not a psychopath. I'm not a sociopath. So my brain is literally not wired that way. And most people's are not. Right. So I think it's natural and normal for us normies, quote unquote, under the bell-shaped curve of brain structure um, to try to understand things because it, it's like the illusion of safety. If I can understand it and right. put it in a box, then I can pack it away in this neat, tidy corner, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if there's no rhyme or reason, it really terrifies people. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So kind of jumping back into this, Armin, just a year after his mother's death, so this is now 2000, he took his first directive action by going to a now defunct forum called the Cannibal Cafe, and placing an ad for, quote, a young, well-built man who wanted to be eaten. <sighs> okay. Now, using his internet pseudonym, Frankie, <laughs> does anybody remember? <laughs> Frank's back. Frank's back. And he's straight up on the computer. Like, if you like pina coladas. Don't do it. And getting eat in my whatever room in my what was it your murder room yeah don't, if you're not in yoga i was literally thinking guess who's back 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 again frankie's back had your chin no just kidding <laughs> i'm mr eat your girl <laughs> okay so you guys remember what we were talking about sprinkling in some humor this is one of those times because i can feel my nervous system getting saturated with this awful heavy shit and we just have to kind of come up from the deep end and we're gonna have to bring it back up to a little bit more surface level like a musical interlude <laughs> like we just need a 38 second intermission Ooh. with some really great 90s and 80s yes. hits oh or into the 2000s we are millennials mm. after all as you can imagine this is a point that i think people just don't come back from 
it's like the phenomenon of the diminishing re- return. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you keep getting just a little bit further and further away mm-hmm. from whatever your baseline is. In this case, when I say normalcy, I mean in the sense of not killing other people. And before you no, know it, or eating, them. or eating them, right? And before you know it, you look back and all of those baby steps created a huge chasm from where you mm-hmm. first started. Mm-hmm. So it may not seem that right. big as you go along, but then you look back and you say, you know, holy shit, how, how did that become yeah. that? How did that be? Yeah, you're, you're lost in the woods. You're lost in the woods. Exactly. You're, you're so far off the trail at this point. Yeah. You know, and there's no way. Like, how do you get right. back? So this is where I like to say shit gets wild. So before we get into the awful details of the murder, let's take a moment to share a little bit about the victim. And I put it in quotes, quote unquote, victim. Burned Brandies. I I am sure that that is not how you pronounce it, uh, but I'm going to pronounce it as Brandies, but I'm just going to call it burned. Note that I said, quote unquote, for a reason, as it's a hotly debated topic, and we will get into that. Unfortunately, there wasn't a whole lot I could find on the details of burned. So I just kind of went with what I could. I think this is one of those cases that is so sensationalized that it kind of throws a shadow over the victim. And so I just couldn't find a whole lot of depth about his childhood or anything Mm -hmm. like that. What I did find was that burned Jurgen Armando Brandes was 43 at the time of his murder in 2001. Okay. It was briefly reported that Burned had had an unhappy childhood and also struggled with his sexuality. Okay. There was also some reports later from like court filings and court cases that he was a masochist. So that tracks to what we're going to be talking about and getting into. Mm -hmm. Remember how I was just talking about the post that Armin made in that cannibalism chat room? Correct. Yes. Looking for a what a yeah, fit, a, a athletic, a attractive. What did you say? A well, well built. Yeah. Yes. Ages eighteen to thirty for mm-hmm. slaughter. Mm-hmm. Burned, who was an engineer, answered that advertisement. What? Yes. <sighs> okay. All right, burned. So there were many people who replied to this post, but they all got many. <laughs> yes. I don't have like a number, but all of the reports that I read were many, like multiple, plural, definitely more than one. I couldn't find a date to my senior prom, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and there were many people who were willing to be eaten. What okay. were, is, it, that's right, right? Like he was, he was, he was pretty mm-hmm. direct in what he was wanting. There was no hidden agenda in this ad. No, he was always very straightforward. I had to take my friend Melanie to my senior prom. Like, are you kidding me? But yet there were many lined up at his door. Yes. Who wanted to be eaten. To yes. be eaten. Okay. You know what? Whatever. <laughs> Continue. So many people replied to the post, but they all got cold feet and backed out. But not burned. Oh, no. According to Harper's Magazine... Burned agreed to Mevis's proposal, which read in part the following, quote, after you're dead, I'll take you out and expertly carve you up. 
except for a pair of knees and some fleshy trash, skin, cartilage, tendons. There won't be much of you left. I'll dry out the knees and grind them up soon after. You won't be the last, hopefully. I've already considered catching a young person from the street. End quote. So this was this is a big commitment from Burnt. I mean, this is full blown. He's going to fully eat him, not just like I want a sliver of your thigh muscle. And we're going to get there. So hold your horse. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Buckle up for the pony show, the wild ride at the Cannibal Cafe. No. All right. Emails were exchanged between the men, and finally, on March 9th, 2001, Burns sold off all of his belongings, cleared his hard drive, and then took the day off of work. He bought a one-way ticket to Castle, where Mevis was, Armin, was waiting to drive him to his house. Once there, the two had sex and then began working towards their plan. Armin and burned captured the whole incident on video Mm -hmm. and according to luke harding burned took about 20 sleeping pills and a bottle of cough syrup in preparation which slowed down his breathing so what i gathered is burned was getting nervous and getting anxious about following through on this and so the sleeping pills like they had stopped at a pharmacy in town to buy some of these before they got to the house. So I think Byrne knew that there was going to be some ambivalence about following through on this, but as you'll see, and as very sadly, he did. Okay. Armin then tries to satisfy part of Byrne's fantasy of biting off Byrne's penis, but he failed. So what does Armin do? He goes and gets a knife and cuts off Burns' penis. Reportedly, Armin then fried Burns' penis with salt, pepper, garlic, and wine and attempted to feed it to Burned, but he was unable to eat any part of it but a bite. I guess not wanting it to go to waste but not exactly it being edible because the reports were that he ended up burning it. Armin Armin ground up Burns' burnt peanut. Burnt. (laughs) And fed it to his dog. What was his dog? It was his dog's name, Frank. I don't have any details on his dog. But that just makes me sad. I mean, all of this is really sad. Uh, but, like, this dog did not give his consent to eat <laughs> a ground-up burnt penis. Oh. oh. Okay. So, burnt. Burned is. We're gonna, okay. We're just burned. Pop, just, I'm going to keep going. Okay. Yeah. No, you go. You go. Continue. At this point in time. <laughs> no, hold on. I do have one quick. Just a quick. So had he already taken the sleeping yes. pills yes. and the yes. the medicine? Okay. So he was, a, hopefully, 
we're gonna say hopefully optimistically he was he was out so of it a bit. literally my next point here or my next sentence was at this point in time burned is bleeding out and slipping in and out of consciousness okay okay so while this is happening right burn is slipping in and out of consciousness armin draws burn to bath and left to read a star trek book checking on burned every 15 minutes so he's bleeding out he puts him in a tub he goes off to read his star trek book and comes back to check on him every 15 minutes after okay. some time and with significant blood loss Armin gave Burned a kiss and then stabbed him in the neck with a large kitchen knife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, now, I want to make sure that I mention something that will come up a bit later and complicate this case. Burned has been a, in all caps, and I'm going to add the word arguably because this is not my opinion. This is just me reporting. Burn has been a consensual party to these acts, including the murder. Right. Some may say that consenting to your own murder cannot happen, but others will disagree. They had mm-hmm, an mm-hmm. email evidence of Burn providing his consent to the entire process to be eaten and to be murdered. I mean, as a healthcare professional, Okay, I the only thing I think I can add to that is again the intent. So in the health it, you know, as a healthcare professional, we take an oath, right? We take an oath to do no harm, to respect our patients' autonomy. You know what I mean? Like there there's a lot. So yes, that that is a very debatable thing of what can a patient actually consent to? However, I mean, Armin is not really taking an oath to do no harm. In fact, he is actually taking an oath to to the opposite. Right. So, I mean, I get I get it. Right. Like I get just on your basic human level. Like, yes, you should not. People shouldn't be able to consent to their own demise, if you will. However, I mean, and I know this yeah, is comparing like, apples to oranges a little bit, and I'm not, I'm just playing devil's advocate. But it's kind of like DNRs, right? Do not resuscitate. So if your mm-hmm, body's mm-hmm. failing or, you know, something comes up, you have a choice over whether they save you or not. Right. Right. But again, you're not, but you're not inflicting, you're not furthering a person's harm by not resuscitating them. You know what I mean? Like your body has come to that on its own. I mean, not necessarily. You have people who are maybe diabetics who sign DNRs and they, you know, their sugar goes haywire one day and they slip into a diabetic coma and you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be this level, but it's all I'm trying to say is DNRs try to give autonomy to that person regardless of what happened. Yeah. No, that that's fair. So that's again, fair. I know it's like apples and oranges and I'm not saying 
like I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm just trying to look at this from all angles. So right, all, all sides, sides, if you will, including the wild side. So after Burn was dead, Armin hung Burn's body on a meat hook to drain, and then began dismembering him. Mm-hmm. Armin then placed what was left of Burn in his freezer and buried the skull in his garden. Mm-hmm. Over the next few weeks, he defrosted and cooked parts of Burn. Regarding mm-hmm. his first cannibalistic meal of Burn's remains, Armin was quoted saying, I decorated the table with nice candles. I took out my best dinner service and fried a piece of rump steak, a piece from his back, made what I call princess potatoes and sprouts. After I prepared my meal, I ate it. With every bite, my memory of him grew stronger. Okay. And this is the, this maybe is the only point I get a little frustrated where I want to be like, shut the fuck up, Armin. You know, so every time I ate this guy, my memory of him grew stronger. Is that supposed to be like endearing or is that supposed to be like filled with fondness? Because like what you're saying doesn't coexist with your behavior that you're engaging in. You get what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know. Like maybe it was a kind of an act of love between the two of them. Maybe in their own warped, twisted you know, like, yeah, I don't, I know what you mean. I don't know. So Armin continued to feed on Burns' flesh over the next twenty to zero months. It was reported that Armin ate forty-four pounds of Burns' flesh. Okay. Okay. 44 pounds of Burns flesh. It's a lot. It's a lot. So we're going to move into, kind of spoiler alert, the arrest. In December of 2002, so this all happened in 2001, so now 2002. Mm-hmm. Our, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it started, what, March? March yes. of 2001? March 9th, like I mm-hmm. think. So in 2000, mm-hmm. December of 2002, Armin posted a new advertisement inviting victims for slaughter. So his same MO. This time, however, it was noticed by an Austrian student who then alerted the authorities. Investigators then searched Armin's home and found severed body parts in the videotape Armin had made to record all four hours of the mutilation. So they found okay. the video, they they found body parts that would eventually be entered into evidence. This mm-hmm. case would soon come to be considered one of Germany's most shocking post-war trials. Okay, shocking because of yeah, just the, the cannibalism nature of, of it. Okay. So right. Armin Mebus was arrested on December 10th, 2002, after turning himself into his lawyer and confessing to the crimes. Shortly afterward, okay. Armin was admitted to the Kessel Veilheiden prison. At trial, okay. Armin's crimes suggested insanity, and he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. 
Therefore, he was yeah. deemed unfit to stand trial. Okay. Shortly after, so kind of fast forward. So there was a lot of information that was kind of all over the place about like the arrest and and, and the legal stuff. So I'm just kind of doing my best to wade yeah. through that. So on January 30th, right. 2004, Armin Nebes was convicted of manslaughter and was sentenced to eight years and six months in prison. However, shockingly, in April of 2005, prosecutors appealed Armin's sentence, arguing that he should have been convicted of murder because he killed for sexual gratification, a motive proved by him having videotaped the crime. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, right? Like, I don't, it's still murder. It's still homicide, right? Like, even if it's consensual. And I, I, oh gosh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's a little weird. Legally, I think, like, nobody had really ever experience this that's true and i think the key here was the first go around he was diagnosed with this schizoid personality disorder and so if it's insane then you know these fantasies and the dismemberments and blah 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 blah, along with the consent is not necessarily considered murder but the argument for the prosecution came with the video evidence that they found and, and not just the video evidence of the four hours of the uh, the mutilation 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 yeah but just the other the other videos that they found and so with this push from the prosecutors a German court ordered a retrial mm-hmm. at his retrial is that not double jeopardy? Oh, I guess no, because now we're going not after manslaughter, but now we're going after full-blown homicide, right? Or first-degree murder. Yeah, and I'm a little ignorant on exactly kind of what you're asking. I'm not entirely sure. And we also have to remember okay. we also yeah. have to remember that this is Germany, and I don't even know if double, double jeopardy is That's even true. a thing That's in Germany. That's like, true. Okay. Yes. I like I Germany, digress. you don't even have to consent to get your blood drawn or to give a breathalyzer if you get pulled over and you look under the influence. The German polizei will just take it from you. And you can't okay. you can't yeah, argue you know, these are violating my rights because it's not the same dynamic in Germany as it is in the United States. True. 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 Good point. So at his retrial, according to BBC News, a psychologist stated that Armin Nevis could reoffend, and he quote still had fantasies about devouring the flesh of young people. So mm-hmm. that really tied into the potential of future reoffending. Right. Yeah. On May tenth, in two thousand and six, a court in Frankfurt convicted Nevis of Armin Nevis of murder. Excuse me, convicted. Armin Mevis of murder, ruling that the original trial had ignored the significance of the video in disproving the argument that he had only killed because he had been asked to. In other words, 
The video, which Armin filmed during the acts of cannibalism and mutilation, was central to the prosecution's case, arguing that Armin killed his victim for his own sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. The court agreed, mm -hmm. and Armin Mivas was sentenced to life in prison. Well, here's so here's my deal as well. Like, I think I could be on board with all of the um, schizo tendency. What did you? What is it called? The schizo. Um, schizoid. It wasn't yeah, schizoid schizoid personality he, disorder. It's, yes, schizoid personality disorder. I, I think I could get on board with a lot of that. However, I think for me, like what does it in for me is the fact that they had emailed back and forth for months. I mean, this is premeditated. I get it. I get this is super sticky and there's like he was consenting. But Armin, brother, friend, dude. You knew what you were well, doing. Well, if we were to if we were like, to look at this through the lens of consent, and let's look at it through the lens of sexual consent, right? Sexual consent happens at every yeah. step of the process. So let's say you meet somebody yes. at a bar and you have a conversation and you want to do all this wild stuff. You go back to this person's place and you start doing this wild stuff. And let's say one person says, "You know what? This doesn't feel right," and they say, "I don't want to do this anymore." Then by laws mm -hmm. of consent, and I don't mean laws necessarily legally, I just mean like moral laws, you know, legal laws, whatever. By laws yeah. of consent, right. you stop. You say, okay, no problem. There you go. Right. The problem is, is that Burned now had, he was intoxicated technically, right? He was altered. True. Could he have he withdrawn consent at that point, even if he right. wanted to? Right, right. But but again, and, and I and I totally agree with you, but again, my thing focusing on Armin is just for me it's the fact that you're you're emailing like you are seeking this out. So to me, how can you plead any form of insanity when you are seeking this all out? I mean, it wasn't an act of you know, it wasn't a crime of passion, right? It wasn't like, well, we just, it, it right. just happened. Like we were there and one thing led to another. And before you know it, I'm looking down and my hands are bloody. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my friend. We have to be held accountable for our actions. Yeah, absolutely. And so just to, I just, I'm, so, I'm getting yeah. towards the end. And so I know this is a long episode, guys, and, and bear with us. We're trying to get through it, but it, we told you it was going to be wild. So as of 2020, Armin has been allowed to go outside of the prison for supervised outings in a different state and while in disguise. So even though he is sentenced to prison or life in prison, he's still allowed as part of his re rehabilitation to go outside of the prison for supervised outings and while he's in disguise. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry. I like like you said, I'm sure people are gonna come at me for this one, but I I don't know. I think that it is the civil thing to do. And I get that there is justice that needs to be served. And I get that, you know, there's this eye for an eye mentality. But guys, at the same time, like again, it's not justifying his actions, but this Dude, I mean, 
he was not set up for success, you know, and I feel like we still have to treat him as a person first and a cannibalistic murderer second. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm half with you on that. I think it just depends. Like, I'm going to step back and defer to the professionals. If a clinical psychiatrist or a um, criminal psychiatrist or psychologist deems that he is not rehabilitatable, is that even a word? Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. I step back and defer to that. So, yeah, I, I believe that some people uh, biochemically, biologically, biophysically speaking, are not able to be rehabilitated. I think it's I think it's like one percent, but I don't know what category Armin falls into. You know what I mean? I don't either. I just have to say for my for my heart, I'm happy that he gets a little bit of sunshine. And that he gets some supervised outings. Yeah. I don't know. That's a tough one. I do. So after I his do. arrest, he admitted his guilt and expressed regret for his actions. He expressed a desire to write a biography in order to discourage anyone who wanted to follow his footsteps. I mean, people turn Christian in prison all the time. Credibility. Eh, who knows? The case against Mevis was complicated by the victim's complete willingness to serve as the subject of his savagery. He did not force them or make them to do anything against their will. In 2023, so this is like the last kind of chunk. In 2023, Armin's former childhood home or the murder mansion, right, that we were talking about, where the Uh atrocities took place, burnt down and it was suspected to be an arson attack. There are two juvenile suspects, but thus far, no arrests have been made. And finally, since this horrific murder and cannibalistic sacrifice in 2001 of burned brandies, Armin Nevis reports that he is now a vegetarian. It left a bad taste in his mouth. What can we say? That, my friends, is the wild, wild case of Armin Nevis, a.k.a. the cannibal of Rutenberg. Woo! That Mm. one was... That was a big pill to swallow. That's a lot. Like, I feel like I'm going to be processing this... For quite a while. But you know what? Maybe it's kind of like what you talk about with alcoholism. Like you don't even, you just don't even, you're just not even around it anymore. You know, and maybe if he is tempted by the just, the in the meats, just the meats of the world, maybe it is a good That's thing silly. for him to be full-on vegetarian. You know, you can get a lot I of protein from agree. beans and soy and tofu. I agree. So I think on that note, we are going to leave it there. Yeah. And thank you guys so yeah. much for your time and attention. In case you have not heard it today, you are loved, you are valuable, and you are worthy. And thanks for hanging out with us through this wild, wild ride. 
And we hope that you have a wild side, bestie and fatty, night, day, weekend, wherever you're at on the calendar. That's right. And we will catch you on the flip side. Bye, guys. Thank you.